0: This is a Timmet Podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. This episode is part of the second series. Chronologically, it falls somewhere before episode 35. The title of this episode is Whatever It's Worth whatever it's worth. It started out like a normal B&B booking. Nigel called from Victoria. He had an English accent and I answered all his questions. Yes, we were the bed and breakfast that Brisbane Brian had blathered about in his blog. Yes, we could accommodate a four person family group two winter weeks from now, Thursday, Friday and Saturday. Yes, a bedroom with a private bathroom for a couple. Yes, two other bedrooms with a shared bath for singles would be fine. No, there'd be no other guests, because we only had the three B&B rooms. Full payment arrived as an email transfer within minutes of the phone call, so everything was set. This was welcome, because we didn't get as many bookings in the winter, and we'd been going through sort of a dry spell. My husband Chuck had been wondering if this was the time we should swap out the carpet, but with this booking, we put that off. Nigel showed up on the Thursday afternoon in a rental car. He was a tall, cheerful man, maybe in his early 60s. He had a shock of close-cropped white hair and laughing blue eyes. He was alone. He would stay the night, but the others wouldn't be arriving till Friday. So, as he pointed out, since he had already paid in full and didn't expect a refund, that shouldn't be a problem. He wanted to check the place out, though, and was especially interested in the windows and blinds. He was pleased to find that the bedroom for the couple was on the back of the house. He spent about ten minutes in the backyard looking around. Well, that was a bit strange. Oh yes, and there was one other thing he said. I know you're probably parking your garage, but do you think we could have exclusive use of it on Friday and Saturday, just so we could load and unload without being outside? Uh, That'll be inconvenient for you, I know, but but I'll pay you extra. Uh, Yes, that was strange, but, but not outrageous. Nobody had ever asked for the garage before, and I didn't know how much to charge, if anything. So I told him he could pay me whatever he figured it was worth to him. I gave him the garage door opener and some keys and told him to make himself at home. We found out a bit more at breakfast the next morning. Nigel was from London. He had a daughter in university, and his wife had died some years earlier. He was doing some contract work in Canada. He had been a policeman in England. When you heard that last bit, our daughter Alex wanted to know if Nigel knew anything about Sherlock Holmes. It turned out that he knew a considerable amount about Sherlock Holmes, so he and Alex had a long discussion on the subject. Alex thought it would be fun to wander around in the London fog, solving mysteries. Nigel said it wasn't always fun, but he'd enjoyed his work overall. Wasn't quite clear who the rest of the family was that was coming to visit, and Nigel didn't volunteer that information, but I figured we'd find out soon enough. Nigel headed out mid-morning, saying he had some things to take care of in town. He warned us that the rest of the family would be arriving on the Air North flight from Victoria and probably would not be at the house much before midnight. Chuck and I spent the evening with Ruth's parents down the street. When we got home, we discovered that Alex was still up, watching old Sherlock Holmes movies with Spring Briebois, her sitter, who also lived on Walnut Crescent. We had just paid off Spring and sent her home when we heard the garage door opening. I looked out the window. Nigel pulled his rental car up in the driveway, just as a big SUV backed into the garage. We heard the door close. Nigel came in the front door, just in time to introduce us to the others as they came in from the garage. If Nigel was tall fair and relaxed, then Rupert, who was first in from the garage, was short, dark, and nervous, about 20 years younger than Nigel. He scanned the whole room suspiciously, before he politely, but clearly disinterestedly, shook her hands. Then in came the couple. Nigel introduced us to the man he referred to only as H, and the woman who was M. They looked familiar. They looked very familiar. They looked just like the photos in the newspapers and on the supermarket tabloids. Yes, I was 100% sure that H's grandmother was on every loony, and not on the side with the bird. I glanced at Chuck and could see that he recognized them too, but we gave them the standard reception and asked about their flight. H explained that Air North had been quite accommodating, slipping them into front row seats at the last moment and getting them off quickly. And the warm cookie was wonderful, exclaimed M. It was late and I didn't try to explain that Air North always treated just about everyone like royalty. We were all tired so we decided on a time for breakfast and then went to bed. We got to know our guests better the next morning over a leisurely breakfast. By then we dropped all pretense and H&M became Harry and Megan. They had come to Whitehorse to go dog sledding. Their son was back in BC with his nanny. It was difficult for them even just to go out for a walk back there. And just like any young couple, they were wrestling with work-life balance between starting a business and having family time. Rupert wasn't nearly as communicative. He ate quickly as his eyes flicked around the room, observing and evaluating. Uh, no, he hadn't been a policeman. He'd been in the military before, in the special something service. It was a bit vague. Now, he and Nigel were helping Harry and Megan. Alex was disappointed that nobody other than Nigel knew much about Sherlock Holmes, even though they all came from England. Then they headed out for a day of dog sledding. Rupert, Harry, and Megan climbed into the SUV in the garage. And then, as if on a signal, the garage door opened, and the SUV zoomed out of the garage and down Walnut Crescent, closely followed by Nigel in the rental car. It took about ten seconds, and they were gone. It was almost as if they had done this before. It was early afternoon when I glanced out the window and noticed the car in front of our house. The driver was sitting at the wheel, and the car was idling. Well, that was unusual. Visitors to Walnut Crescent generally went straight into the house they were visiting. I watched for a minute or two, but the driver showed no sign of going to visit anybody. I shrugged and went about my day, but five minutes later as I passed by the window again, the car was still idling. This time, though, Pamela McPherson was pounding on the driver's side window. I watched. She was obviously speaking to the driver or gesturing emphatically. Finally, she threw up her arms in apparent despair and stomped up to our front door. I let her in. Sheesh, she exclaimed. That guy was just sitting there running his car. English guy. Big camera. I told him to turn the car off because he was just warming up the planet. He said that wasn't a bad thing because if he turned off the car, he'd freeze. I told him to go back to where he came from and warm up that side of the planet. He said something to me, some some expression I didn't recognize, but it didn't sound very complimentary. So I told him about the same thing in very clear Canadian English. Uh, And that wasn't very complimentary either. Anyway, why is he so interested in your house? Oh, it's probably because of the B&B guests we had this weekend, I said, without offering any further explanation. And right at that point, the city of Whitehorse came to the rescue. We heard an insistent beeping sound outside. We peered out the front window together. There was a city grater right behind the idling car, blowing its horn to get the car to move. I'd forgotten that this was street cleaning day. About twice every winter, the city scrapes the accumulated snow right down to the hard surface on the street and the sidewalk. This was one of those days. After a couple more beeps, the car moves slowly down the street with the grader close behind. Two minutes later, the car was back again in the same place. The driver had obviously decided to drive around the Crescent. What he hadn't appreciated was that in the normal course of snow clearing, the grader would make five or six passes each time cutting back a bit more of the snow along the edge. After the grader had chased the car away three times from in front of the house, Pamela McPherson declared that she was going out to supervise. She later reported that the car had pulled into Mr. Klemiszewski's driveway just one minute before him being boxed in by a high ridge of ice thrown up by the grater, and two minutes before Mr. Klemyshevsky's arrival. Pamela observed that Mr. Klemiszewski's ability to be verbally abusive GREATLY outstripped that of the guy driving the car, although maybe the English guy learned some useful new Canadian vocabulary. By the time our visitors returned in the late afternoon, the grader had finished, leaving a high windrow of snow in the middle of the street, essentially dividing Walnut Crescent into two narrow lanes. The city would come back and truck the snow away in a day or two, but the result was that there was no room to park on the street without blocking traffic. The idling car had disappeared. The garage door opened, the SUV quickly backed in, and the door closed again, just like the night before. Nigel parked in the driveway. The dog sledding had been a great success. Megan had loved the dogs. Harry had loved the speed. Nigel and Rupert loved the fact that there was nobody else around. When Harry and Megan went to the room to change, Nigel asked if there was any place they could order pizza or some other kind of takeaway. I guess he meant takeout. You probably appreciate, he said that if we just drop into a restaurant, nobody will have a relaxing meal. I checked yesterday, and the only way to get someplace private would be to reserve a room at the Westmark and engage a host of extra staff. Oh, we're having do-it-yourself burritos this evening, I said. It's one of Alex's favourites. I can just double the ingredients and you can eat with us. If, of course, you're you're good with it. do-it-yourself. Well, I'm sure we'd all love that, said Nigel. And, of course, I'll pay for it. Well, whatever you think it's worth, I replied. So we had a cozy family supper around the dining table, with everyone passing and reaching to get the grated cheese, veggie ground beef, vegetables, and refried beans. I think Harry was a bit disappointed that it wasn't pizza. My brother was here a few years ago, he said, and he talked about the superb pizza in Whitehorse. Chuck laughed and told the back story about that pizza. When Will and Kate were here, he said, they took over the whole High Country Inn. The hotel had the chef standing by all evening, just in case somebody was hungry. About 11 p.m., your brother expressed a desire for pizza. The chef was stricken. Pizza was the only thing he could not make, so after some moments of anguish, he simply phoned one of the pizza places in town and had pizza delivered to the hotel. When it arrived, he transferred it from the cardboard box to a silver platter and delivered it to your brother's room. It must have been a success, because when he was leaving the next morning, your brother sought out the chef and congratulated him on his ability to make such excellent pizza on short notice. (laughs) Everyone got a chuckle out of that. Then I asked what the plans were for the evening. Oh, we'll probably have a quiet night, said Megan. Maybe watch TV. We're a bit tired. We're not the sort to drop into a bar, and anywhere else we go, we'd probably just set off a riot. Look, I said, Chuck, Alex, and I are going out to the barn dance at the old fire hall downtown. I explained what a low-key, non-judgmental family event it was, and it wouldn't last late. Nobody cares who you dance with, offered Alex. They tell you how to do it, but if you go the wrong way and you bump into somebody, everyone laughs and they keep going. It's lots of fun. After some hesitation, our visitor said they'd give it a try, reasoning that they could always duck out early if things got out of hand. So Nigel jumped in our van with us, and as soon as the SUV carrying the others burst from the garage, we led the procession downtown. Pamela McPherson was working the door. She immediately recognized Harry and Megan, made the connection to the B and B guests I mentioned earlier, and only gulped twice and blinked three times. Welcome to Whitehorse, she said, quickly recovering. There are seven of you. I guess that qualifies for the family rate. Nigel insisted on paying for two families. Old people danced with young. Veterans danced with beginners. Nigel danced with Mrs. McPherson. Rupert danced with nobody. He spent the evening patrolling the periphery of the dance floor, eyeing everything and everyone suspiciously. The whole evening was a grand success. I was proud of the way my fellow Yukoners handled it. I'm sure most of the adults recognized Harry and Megan. They just smiled, but nobody said anything or asked for selfies. There was only one photo, and that was by the mother of the little girl, younger than Alex, who ended up dancing with Harry. The mother wanted a photo of them together. It was all very cute. And we were home before 10 p.m. At breakfast on Sunday morning, Harry and Megan couldn't say enough about how much fun they had had dog sledding and dancing, and more importantly, how nobody had made a fuss about them. You all made us feel like part of the family, like we belonged here. That would never have happened anywhere else, Megan marveled. Well, Yukon isn't like anywhere else, said Chuck. I mean... Everyone probably knew who you were and and found it interesting, but didn't really care too much. Certainly not enough to do anything that would make you uncomfortable or ruin the evening for you. That's the way most Yukoners are. In due course, our guests left, the SUV leading out of the garage a lot slower than before, followed by Nigel in the rental car. A day later, he sent us a generous email transfer. I guess he thought the burrito family supper and exclusive use of the garage were worth a lot. My cousin in England sent me a Facebook message a few days later. Look, he wrote, Megan and Harry were in Yukon. Did you see them? He sent us a link to a UK news article that showed the front of our house with the garage door three quarters closed. According to the article, security had been extremely tight during the visit and that was the only photo that the photographer had managed to snap. The article identified the Walnut Crescent Bed and Breakfast as the location of the secret royal refuge in Yukon. That generated a flurry of inquiries and two bookings for the summer. Ah, yes, and one more booking. Megan and Harry are coming back in July, with Archie this time. Maybe we'll have pizza. This has been a Timmet podcast in a series called On the Marge. Instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at timmit.ca podcasts. That's T-I-M-M-I-T C-A slash podcasts.